Romans chapter 12 in the Word of God. As you're turning to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 in the Word of God. I want you to pray for something specific tonight. And uh, when you get ready to go to sleep, I want you to pray for Silas and for his mom, Opal, and for his sister, Pearl. Have I told you about Silas? Okay, I told you about him the other night. He's... He and his mom and and sister moved up from San Diego and broke down in Dillon, right outside of Dillon. And uh, when I preached in Dillon recently at First Baptist Church in Dillon, uh, there's no room there for a trailer to park. So they had us park at an RV park, the same one where Silas and Opal and his sister Pearl are are staying. And so I'm going to try to reach out to them. I'm going to try to find them tomorrow. So you pray that God will... Work that out and and, uh, see if the Lord will open up hearts. I'd like to preach to you tonight on the second most popular verse in all the Bible. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege you've given to us to open up the Bible. Thank you for these that are gathered here this evening. I pray your rich blessing upon each of them. And I pray that the touch of heaven would be upon us tonight as we delve into the scripture. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd bind Satan. And Lord, Lord, I pray that you would uh, neutralize our wrong thinking. Whatever it may be that is hindering us from growth or keeping us from, from making right decisions or, or from being what we ought to be. And I pray that you'd straighten out our thinking through the powerful word of God. Thank you for these that are here, for, for those that have come from different distances. I pray you'd bless them. Those that are been being faithful to you, we pray your blessing upon them. And I pray that you'd continue to use them. Help these dear people at Whitehall Baptist not to get discouraged in inviting folks out, just to rear back and circle around and go make a go at it again and not get discouraged when it comes to the, to, to the inviting of their friends and their loved ones and family. I pray that tomorrow night you'd anoint the services and Friday night. And I pray that we'd have people come from around that are hearing about these meetings. And then, Lord, we pray for Sunday, for a special Holy Ghost anointing upon the services Sunday as we have Friend Day. And, Lord, we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for all that you accomplish because we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. What would you say would be the most popular verse in all the Bible or popular passage? Uh, What would you say? Can you give me a guess or a go at it? John 3.16. I mean, I think it's hands down and probably far and away the most popular verse in all the Bible, the most popular passage of Scripture, and the most popular uh, portion of the Word of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And what a, what a tremendous verse. And what we ought to be sounding it far and wide and giving it out in every way and every form possible. Well, what would you say would be the most, the second most popular verse, second to John three sixteen. What would you say would be the most, in your opinion now, the most second, the the second most popular verse or passage in all the Word of God? Does anybody have an opinion on this? I'd say it's in Romans twelve. Well, Romans twelve. That's right. That you you can't do that. You're messing me up, Ken. You mess my whole message up. Anybody else besides troublemakers? Any anybody else? Anybody else? Yes. Psalm 23, I've thought about that too. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Anybody else? That's, that's definitely the case. 
Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's good. Anybody else have an opinion on, on uh, the second most popular passage in all the Bible? Oh, that's good. That's good. I, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Well, that's a good passage. That, that ought to be the second most popular passage in all the word of God. Anybody else have an idea? Is, is anybody on this side offering opinions tonight, or is it just the people on the left? Anybody over here on this side? Oh, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. There's all kinds of them, all kinds of them. And I tell you, I love it when the word of God is exalted, don't you? And I love it when the word of God is made a central part of services. Several years ago, Pastor, I was in, uh, I was in St. Kitts, and we were there for a missions trip, and we were playing soccer, and we were seeking to train and reach men in the gospel and with the gospel. And so we were playing soccer as a tool to do this. And, of course, in St. Kitts, you can drop a soccer ball, and you'll get a crowd. And uh, so we would suit up and dress up and in a soccer uniform and join up with a team and we would play different teams men un, under the lights uh, uh, Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and then Wednesday we, we would be a part of the services on Sunday and Wednesday at the lo- local church Good News Baptist there in Lime Kiln near St. Kitts. Well uh, the song leader that night the lay song leader got up and he led some songs and, uh, and then he said alright he said uh, now the preacher's going to come or, or now we're going to have a special and I mean I thought we were going to have a revolution Everybody in the congregation started rumbling, saying, oh, I forgot something, I forgot something. And he said, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I forgot the scripture. I forgot the scripture memory. All right, who has a scripture verse? And one by one, people in the congregation started quoting scriptures. And not just flippantly and not just quickly so that they could get through it. I mean, they were meaningful scriptures. And they were from this side and from this side and from that side and the other side. And I said... It totally, completely changed the tone of the service. I mean, it was like the Lord was welcomed with open arms. The praise was wonderful, and the singing was great and hearty and robust. The prayers were very good. But boy, when they started quoting Scripture, I mean, it was like the Lord was seated upon the throne. And what a powerful, precious, precious thing that was. Well, tonight, I want to preach to you from Romans chapter 12. And I do believe, in my opinion, that that the second most popular passage in the Word of God, at least it seemed that way when I was a young person growing up, uh, when I was in college uh, training for ministry, it seemed like every month, sometimes every other week, sometimes even more frequent than that, some visiting speaker would come in, some evangelist would come in, some chapel speaker would come in, and they'd say, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and they'd preach from verses 1 and 2. Would you look at what the Bible says? Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this is the second, in my opinion, most important passage in the Bible, and perhaps even most second most popular passage in all of the Bible. And the reason I would say important is because right after you get saved, the next most important decision is that you surrender your all to the Lord. Now, the very first thing you need to do after you get saved is get baptized, because that shows everybody that you're saved, and it shows that when you pray to ask Jesus as your Savior and to receive Him into your heart, you, you weren't playing games, and it wasn't a joke with you, and it wasn't a ritual. It was real, and you wanted Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord. And so when you get baptized, you're showing to the whole world what happened when you got 
got baptized, that you were identified with Jesus Christ. What happened when you got saved? You're identifying with him in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. But the truth is that after you get saved, there is a major, major matter that needs to be settled. And it is your surrender. Every once in a while, as I study history and as I read the Bible, I come across somebody that seems like they got saved and surrendered almost at the same time. Uh, for instance, I would say the Apostle Paul was one. Saul of Tarsus, he was a full-blown, uh, full-blown fanatic for his religion and for the Jewish faith. And he was persecuting Christians and he was taking them off to prison and hailing men and women to prison. And the scripture says that he was on his way to Damascus with papers in his hand to, to persecute and to imprison Christians. And the Lord shone, shone a light from heaven and, and, and blinded, blinded Paul. The other men around him, they heard a voice, but they could see no man. And the voice from heaven was, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Lord, who art thou? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Saul of Tarsus said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And right there on that sod, he was saved and born again. And I believe that right there he surrendered. But I believe for most Christians, it's a later moment. A time when you just fully surrender your body to the Lord. Here I am, Lord, lock, stock, and barrel. I'm giving you my body. I want you to have me. I want you to have everything. You take my life as it is. And he says there in verse number one, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, I want to divide our thoughts into four sections tonight. Number one, I want you to see the truth. The truth. Would you say that with me tonight? The Truth. Would you say it again? The truth. What's the truth? The truth is the challenge is in verse number one, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, have you done that? He's not saying that you should present your spirit. He's not saying you should present your soul. He's saying present your bodies a living sacrifice. Lord, you live within me, but I want you to have all of me. I'm yours. I present my body a living sacrifice to you. Now let's notice this truth. Look back at Romans chapter 11. In Romans chapter 11 and verse number 29, it says, The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in time past have not believed God, he's speaking of the, uh, of the Gentiles, yet have now cho- obtained mercy through their, that's the Jews, unbelief. Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they may obtain mercy. In other words, he's speaking in Romans 9, 10, and 11 about the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles and how God has selected the Jews and elected the Jews for a purpose. Through the Jews, the Messiah would come. Through the Jews, the knowledge of salvation would come. Through the Jews, Jesus uh, would come. Through the Jews, the Word of God would come. And so he selected the Jewish people and he selected the Jews or Jacob as opposed to Esau. And he said, Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? Again, as I mentioned, earlier this week, terms of emotion in the Bible are terms of comparison. So he selected Jacob so that through Jacob and the line of Jacob, the Bible would come and the Messiah would come. And he says, then he came and the scripture says in John 1, 11 and 12, he came unto his own and his own received him not. Who, who were his own? The dear Jewish people. 
He came to his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Remember on Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, when I was talking in Malachi and how Malachi said there's going to come a time when from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name will be praised and people will worship, the Gentiles will worship the Lord. Lord. And and, and that's true. And that's what he's referring to here. He says through through their unbelief, you've obtained mercy through the Jews' unbelief. Now the gospel is open to you. Acts chapter 11, God said to Peter, I want you to go and I want you to rise and eat. And it was a great big picnic sheet that had, had, had pork and bacon. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful God said, rise and eat, aren't you? And, uh, and he, uh, it had all kinds of things. And Peter had never touched unclean things. And he said, oh, not so, Lord. And he said, don't call common what I have cleansed. And he was saying that because he was preparing Peter to go to Cornelius and the gospel would go to the Gentiles for the first time in a powerful way and, and, and purposeful way. And so, so he said, hey, he said, through their unbelief, the Jews' unbelief, you Gentiles, you Romans have obtained mercy. And through your mercy, the Jews again will obtain mercy. This is a powerful passage. He's speaking about mercy in verse number 32. He said it, for God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he, may, he might have mercy upon all. And he's mentioned mercy three times in these three verses. Verse 33, all oh, the depths of the riches, both, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been his counselor or who hath first given to him and it shall be recompensed unto him again for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. He said, look, through the Jews' unbelief, you Gentiles have obtained mercy. Through your mercy, they're going to obtain mercy again. And the Bible says in one day during the tribulation, the Bible says they'll look on him whom they've pierced and they'll believe. The whole nation of Israel will be saved in a day and they'll realize the Messiah had already come and the Antichrist is not the Messiah, but that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Wow, praise God, praise God. And so he says, based upon the mercies of God... Present your body a living sacrifice. Because God is merciful, present your body a living sacrifice. Have you stopped to consider and ponder and weigh and value the mercy of God in your own life? Someone said, mercy is not getting what I deserve. Oh, it's true. And there have been many, many times, Brother Randy, when I could have died, when I could have perished, when I could have stepped into an eternal hell, and yet God showed mercy. I think of the mercy of God in my family, how that God reached down and saved my dad in 1950 and how he's been working in a half a century and then over these last 70 years to to mold our family and shape us. He changed the course of generations when he introduced the gospel into a little town in northern Minnesota, Pengilly, Minnesota, through a tent meeting. Thank God for his mercy. I thank God for his mercy. Had it not been for his mercy, we'd be consumed. We, We studied that. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God that he doesn't give us what we deserve because, oh, if we got what we deserve, we'd be in a heap of 
mess, but he's given us mercy again and again and again. And even as Christians, sometimes we go astray and sometimes we besmirch the name of the Lord Jesus. Sometimes we go our own stubborn way and we lead others astray. And yet he shows mercy. The Bible says, thy gentleness hath made me great. He says, the goodness of God leadeth me to repentance. Thank God for his mercy. And he says, based upon that, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, what is that? Well, living sacrifice is a reference to an Old Testament tradition, an Old Testament practice where they would bring two he-goats or two turtle doves or two sheep, two lambs, and they would bring them and they would offer the one. They'd kill the, the turtle dove. You understand that sometimes turtle doves were, were offered because that family, that's all they could afford. And so the turtle dove would be offered or the lamb would be offered or the he goat would be offered. And they would take that lamb or that turtle dove. They would kill it. They would let the blood flow into the basin. And then if it was a turtle dove, they would dip the turtle dove down in the blood of the, the first offering. And they would take it out and let it go free. Uh, sometimes they would take a goat and they would kill the goat and they would let that goat's blood flow down and they would collect it in a basin and then they would take that goat's blood uh, that had died and sprinkle it on the goat that was living and they would take it out in the wilderness and let it go free. That was a living sacrifice. Now you and I have been marked by the precious blood of a substitute, by the sacrifice of our Savior. And God has set us free not to live by ourselves, not to live for ourselves, not to live in the power of our flesh, but to live in the power of the Lord. We're marked by His blood and we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what He's saying. Present your body. So here's the truth. That every Christian here needs to present their body a living sacrifice. If you've already done that, then that's given. And you should remember that. You should recall it. You should think about it. You should rehearse it. You should, uh, you should go back and thank God for that decision that was made. But if you have not presented your body a living sacrifice, tonight is when you need to do so. Tonight, you need to say, on the 20th of October, 2021, I'm giving my all and my body to the Lord. Lord, here I am. Lock, stock, and barrel. You take my body. You do with me what you please. Now, this is an action that is a one-time action with continuing results. That means if you have presented your body, that's a one-time action with continuing results. And I would challenge you to every day when you get up in the morning, say, Lord, I've given you my body. I've given you my mind to think your thoughts, my eyes to seek what you want me to see, my ears to listen and to hear what really matters. I've given you my tongue. I've given you my hands, my body, my feet. Lord, you, shackle, you, you, you shod me with a preparation of the gospel of peace and put on the armor. And Lord, I'm yours. I have surrendered everything to you, and I'm not taking any of that back. Well, you get in the habit of doing that every day and recalling the sacrifice that you made years ago and the presentation of your body as a living sacrifice, and that'll be a blessing. If you haven't done it, you need to do it tonight. And then when you get up in the morning, say, Lord, here's my mind. Here's my eyes. Here's my ears. Here's my tongue. Here's my hands. Here's my feet. Here's my body. I yield myself to you afresh and anew, remembering what I did yesterday, and I plan to do it to be fully yielded to you all day. Present your body a living sacrifice. Young people, if you haven't done that, you need to do it. Well, sure, this is not a surrender for full-time service. 
Now, I am thankful for any Christian anywhere that senses the call of God upon their life to preach or to serve God in a full-time way. I am thankful for anybody that surrenders to the Lord. Uh, you say, preacher, how old do you have to be to surrender to full-time Christian service? It, you know, any age is okay. I surrendered to the Lord. Uh, I surrendered to full-time service when I, I, I believe the Lord called me when He saved me. Uh, I, I've always had that desire, but when I was about 12 years old, we had moved from Indiana to Minnesota. And I started to stray from the Lord, get away from the Lord as a 12-year-old boy can in a Christian school, in a Christian home, in a Bible-preaching church, and I got around the wrong crowd. And one day I came home, and for my birthday that year, my Auntie LaDonna from North Dakota had sent me a book called The Sugar Creek Gang and the Killer Bear. If you've never read The Sugar Creek Gang, you ought to get them and read them. I mean, they're just really good. Written by an evangelist named Paul Hutchins, who either had MS or polio, I don't remember which, but he was, he was completely unable to travel. And so he wrote And he is still impacting the world through those writings of the Sugar Creek Gang. And it's a whole series of books, but this one was about the Sugar Creek Gang and the Killer Bear. And there was a boy in that book named Bill Collins that wasn't right with his parents. That was me. And he wasn't right with God. That was me. And and things weren't getting better for him. They were only getting worse. That was me. And, and he, he went to some revival meeting and, and a tent, and the Spirit of God began to move in that tent. And people started getting saved, and drunkards started getting saved. And, and Bill Collins got right with God, and he got right with his parents. And by the end of the book, everything was good. And there was a killer bear adventure somewhere in there, too. Well, I want you to know, by the end of that book, I was just, I was convicted. I read through the whole thing one evening in our little 4026 DuPont Avenue apartment in Minneapolis, Minnesota, upstairs apartment. And and there was no soft organ music. There was no invitation. There was no sermon from the preacher, but the Holy Spirit was preaching right to me. And I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, I don't even know if I'm saved. I said, but if I'm not saved, I want you to save me. I said, but if I am saved, I just want you to have all of my life. Now that was when I surrendered like Romans 12, 1 and 2. Here I am, Lord. I'm yours. God had called me earlier, and, and I believe he would confirm it later when I was in 10th grade that he wanted me to be an evangelist. But, but the fact is, is that this is not, Romans 12, is not a surrender for full-time service. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Because this is for every Christian. Not every Christian is going to go into full-time ministry and be called of God off to a mission field or someplace far away. Uh, I'm thankful for everyone that was. My, my father-in-law surrendered when he was 40-some years old. He'd been in the military for about 18 years or so, and he surrendered to go to the mission field to serve God uh, as in ministry. And, and, uh, and a couple years later, he'd retire from the army and come to college. And, and it's because his surrender, I was able to meet my, my wife. Had it not been for his surrender, that may very well not have happened. So I'm thankful for any time anybody is touched by God to go into ministry or full-time service as a pastor, a missionary, evangelist, or church planner, Bible translator, married to, to somebody in ministry, whatever the case may be. But the truth of the matter is, is that this is not a full-time service surrender. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is for every Christian. This is an expectation laid upon every Christian. That's the truth. Number one, the truth is that you and I, based upon the mercies of God, should present our bodies a living sacrifice. And look at how we should present it. Verse number one, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Not W-H-O-L-L-Y, but H-O-L-Y. That means clean. That means sin confessed. Here I am, Lord, I'm confessing my sin. I just want to be 100% right with you, and I want you to have me. 
Holy, look at it, acceptable unto God. You know, there was a sacrifice in the Old Testament that was acceptable to God and a sacrifice that was not acceptable. Sometimes they would bring praise with feigned or hypocritical lips. That was unacceptable. Sometimes they'd bring a sacrifice that was less than their best. We talked about that on Sunday night in the book of Malachi. That was unacceptable. Sometimes they'd bring a sacrifice that was a a sacrifice uh, that, that had been tainted by idolatry. That was unacceptable. He said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, an acceptable unto God sacrifice. That means when I come to the Lord, I'm giving him my best and my first. I'm giving him my all and I'm coming with a holy heart. Confess sin. And look at what it says at the end, which is your reasonable service. This is just expected. This is just bare bones, entry level Christianity that we would give our best to God, that we would give our first to God, that we would give that we would give what is holy to God and what is acceptable to God. It's just entry level Christianity. Somebody says, well, I don't know if I want to surrender my my tithe to the Lord. You you don't have a choice in that matter. I mean, I mean, you can choose against it, but it's really a a matter that's it's a no brainer. I mean, it doesn't seem like much of a choice to me. Give my tithe to the Lord and my offering and have him open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. There won't be room enough to receive it. He's inviting me to prove him. That that seems like not much of a choice. So, So why would you why would you fight against that? I'm not sure I want to surrender my family to the Lord. Well, why would you fight against that? God would take your family and use them in a mighty way and make an impact for the Lord. I'm not sure I want to surrender my life to the Lord. Lord, I'm not sure I want to surrender my body to the Lord. It's just bare bones reasonable to do this. Why would you not? He gave everything to you. Why would you not give everything to him? He gave his all to you. He gave his best to you. God gave heaven's best for earth's worst so that earth's worst might know heaven's best. Why would you not give your body to the Lord? Why would you hold back? Why would you, why would you keep your, your cards close to yourself? Why would you not put everything to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. I'm yours 100%. Why would you not? would you fight against the very thing that would invite the blessing of God into your life, into your home, into your family? Number one is the truth. Number two is the trouble. Would you say that with me tonight? The trouble. Would you say it again? The trouble. Here's the trouble. Look at what it says. Verse two. It says, and be not conformed to this world. Hmm. Hmm. There's the trouble. You see, just like the Lord is vying for your body, so is the world. Just like the Lord wants you and your time and your talent and your treasure, so does the world. Just like the Lord wants you to give yourself to him fully, so does the world. And he says, be not conformed to this world. He says, preacher, what is the world? Now, I, I find it interesting when some preachers ask that question and you know that they've already compromised in one way or another and they're asking the question not because they want to present an answer, but they're asking the question to make the answer more vague. What is the world? You can't really make any specific application to our life or to our entertainment or to our, to our dress or to our choices or to our, to, to our friendships. Yeah, I mean, come on, preacher. You know, the Bible's not really speaking to all that. The world, and then they define it as some vague, nebulous thing that 
doesn't really have any practical application. You know, whenever I hear somebody do that, I say, suspicion. I'm real suspicious about somebody, a preacher that makes a clear truth more unclear. (laughs) Because then makes me wonder if he's trying to lead me astray. But watch here now. He says, be not conformed to this world. Well, if we want to know the answer to the question, what is the world? We need to go to the Bible. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life are not of the Father, but are of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. All right, what's he saying? He's making contrast. The Bible is a book filled with contrast. And there's a contrast between the world and the will of God. He that loves the world and loves God. You can't love the world and love God at the same time. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't love the Father and love the world at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. The world and the will of God, mutually exclusive. Loving the Father, or loving the world and loving the Father, mutually exclusive. You can't love both. And then he defines the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, Jesus, when he came in John 4 and Luke chapter 4, was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In all points, he was tempted like as we are. Well, what does that mean? Well, he was tempted in Luke 4 and Matthew 4 with the lust of the eyes. Turn this stone to bread. The pride of life. Uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. Uh, he, 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 was, uh, he was tempted by the bread, t- stone, turning the stone to bread. He was tempted by the, the, the pride of life. He said, he said I, I want you to, to bow down and worship me. He was tempted by the lust of the eyes. All these things will I give thee. And then he said, cast yourself down and the angels will bear thee up. He was tempted in all points like as we are. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John Wesley, the the great Methodist evangelist uh, that founded the Methodist church, said, the world is anything that cools my affection for Jesus Christ. Is there anything that has robbed your love for the word? Anything, is there anything that has robbed your affection for the worship of the Lord? Is there anything in your life that's robbed your, your affection for, for seeing souls saved? Seeing prayers answered? Gleaning truths from the Word of God? Living for eternity? Is there anything that has robbed your affection or cooled your affection so that today you're cooler for Jesus Christ than you were yesterday? Or five years ago, the world is anything that cools my affection for Jesus Christ. I believe that's why it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Think of that. Just think of that for a moment. Demas was once a close associate of the Apostle Paul. Paul the preacher. Paul the soul winner. Paul the church planner. Paul the missionary. Paul the, Paul the preacher. And he was right there by his side. Helping him, encouraging him. But somewhere along the line, he got distracted. Somewhere along the line, he drifted away from Paul and from the things of God. Somewhere along the line, Paul or Demas got his eyes off of Jesus and onto the things of this world. So that he would say, Demas hath forsaken me. So Paul would travel from one church to the next and somebody would say, Hey Paul, how's Demas doing? Paul would hang his head. He would say, you haven't heard? 
no, no. He was the guy that was with you last time. He was helping your book table, and he was helping you, you go out soul winning every day, and, and he was helping you. He, he was learning how to preach. I, boy, what's he doing? He was such a blessing then. I don't know exactly what happened, but somewhere along the line, he saw the world as more appealing than the Lord. That's why he says, love not the world. Now, in this passage, he says, be not conformed to this world. Now, when I was young, I was growing up in Indiana, not just the northwest corner of Indiana. And we'd go often up to Chicago and many times to the zoo. And I remember that. And you know, one of the things I liked about the zoo, besides seeing the lions and the, and the apes, I love the apes, and the elephants and the giraffes, and I didn't really care for the snakes, and I still don't care for the snakes. Thank you very much. If you're a snake lover, please don't tell me you're a snake lover. Anyway, uh, well, I, I, one of the things I loved about going to the zoo was they would have these machines. You put some money in the, in the machines, and, and I've just seen that they've come up with these machines again. They're back in style, which is good. I knew if I lived long enough, I could come through a style, a style cycle. Well, anyway, uh, uh, they, they put your money in, and it would let you make a mold of a lion or a, a giraffe or an elephant or a, or a, a monkey or an ape. And uh, so you put your money in, and, and uh, then you could choose. You want to choose an ape, and there'll be a little glob of black wax that would come down into a mold, and there'd be a mold that would press down on top of it or in front of it, and it would move in, into place, and it would hold it in place there for a little bit until it formed the wax ape. And then it would have a little machine that would come along and cut off the edge. How many of you remember ever seeing anything like this? Nobody? Oh, all right, we've got a couple. Oh, some, some young people. Good. It's back in style. It's good. You can say you got something to relate with Brother Dwight about. Anyway, uh, this was so exciting. And then after it had cooled, that machine would open up again, and the monkey or the, uh, the giraffe or the, lion, the elephant would fall down. In this case, an ape. It would fall down, and then it would give a, a few minutes to pause, and then you'd reach back in there, and you'd grab it. And do you know when this word means, when it says conformed? It means pressed into a mold. And you hear me, if you allow it, the world will make a monkey out of you. It will make a monkey out of you, your family, your life, your finances, your, your, your character. It will mock you. That's what the world does. The world's not interested in you. The world's not interested in redeeming you, and it can't if it tried. The world's not interested in or able to really bless you. It, it can lure you into its lair and then leave you a pauper spiritually. But the world wants to make a monkey out of you and make a monkey out of me. A few years ago, I remember when Miley Cyrus became popular. And she was just a young teenage girl, beautiful little girl, 13 years of age. And, and I began to watch. I said, Phew. the world's going to make a fool out of her. And that's exactly what it's done. I hope that somebody reaches her with the gospel before it's, she steps into eternity. But boy, how it has made her into something that is sometimes just a, a mockery of what a lady should be. Why? Because the world wants to press you into a mold. And, and you know, it doesn't just want to do it with some pop star that's a budding possibility when they're 13. It wants to do it with somebody here at Whitehall Baptist Church. It wants to make this church a mockery. And you know, the best way it can is to lure you into all of its treasures and all of its enticements and make you think that's where life is at, presses you into a mold. 
You know, sometimes it's ironic because the world wants to mock us as Christians as cookie cutters, doesn't it? Ah, a bunch of Christians. They get saved and, and you just become cookie cutters and you're all the same. I said, are you crazy? You look at the way the world produces their rap singers and their pop singers and their country western and rock singers. You look at the world, way the world makes somebody that's a Hollywood uh, rising star and just mocks them and destroys them. And you look at the way the world treats these. And then when they're done with them, they just discard them like a used tissue. You want to see uniqueness? You want to see the fingerprint uniqueness that God places in the life of an individual? You want to see individuality blossom and bloom? You see it in the local New Testament church. That's exactly right. There is no greater eclectic gathering than right here, the New Testament local church. People from different backgrounds, from different walks of rural life, sometimes different cultures, different ethnic backgrounds, different languages, and they come together and they can have the fellowship of the Spirit and they can, they can really bloom for Jesus Christ as the individual that God made them to be and still become a collective whole in a unit that is a threat to the devil and a glad rejoicing to heaven. Wow, wow. The trouble with presenting your body a living sacrifice is that the world is there ready to press you into its mold. All right, but number three, I want you to notice the transformation. The transformation. Would you say that with me, please? The transformation. Let's look at it in the Bible. Verse 2. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. All right, this number three is the transformation. This word transformation is where we get our word metamorphosis. It is actually described with a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. Now, uh, here is this caterpillar just kind of inching its way and, and worming its way along on a branch. There is nothing about that caterpillar that is appealing to an aeronautical engineer. Nothing. There's nobody that looks at that caterpillar and says, boy, there's possibility there. I think if, 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 if he would just get into flight school, I think he could maybe make something out of his life. Nobody looks at that caterpillar and says, this is just this ugly blob of whatever, sometimes colorful. I don't want to be too degrading to caterpillars tonight. But I mean, it's just, and it, it's just eating. I mean, it's just, just a life of ease and comfort. That's what the caterpillar is. Eat, 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 eat. And everything you see you eat, and it's wonderful. And so it's just eating and growing and eating and growing and eating and growing. Uh, some of us probably could qualify as candidates for caterpillars. But anyway, uh, you think about this, boy, it's just a, just a wonderful thing that God has made this caterpillar. And, and, and you get it, and, and what do the kids do? They see the caterpillar, and of course, we probably taught them this, and that's good. And we say, oh, let's grab it, and let's break the branch off right here, a little bit ahead of it, and a little bit behind it, and we'll put it in a jar, and we'll put holes in the top of that jar, and we'll put some leaves and some greens in there, and maybe it can have some things to eat. And we look at it every day, and we put it in the sun when the springtime comes around, and we say, well, let's keep an eye on it and one day we come and say ah the caterpillar's gone somebody has stolen it well not exactly it's begun to spin not a web but but some kind of material that wraps itself up in that cocoon that chrysalis and when it does it attaches to that branch and boy you know something's happening it's going to sleep and you know what's taking place a process called metamorphosis transformation And one day, uh, mom comes, and as she's washing dishes or getting ready for breakfast, she says, oh, today's the day. And she sees some long antenna. 
or long arm of the caterpillar reaching out. When the kids wake up, she says, oh, you better come look. I think the caterpillar is trying to get out. It's tired of sleeping in that chrysalis or that cocoon. And so they come and out comes another antenna and out comes this long, soggy kind of a appendage and another long. And, it, and pretty soon it's what? Wait, who are you and what did you do with my caterpillar? And it's actually a butterfly. And now that butterfly is stretching and catching the light and drying its wings. And we might keep it in there for a day, maybe not. We'll take it outside and say, we need to let this caterpillar get free into the spring air. And it takes flight. We say, what in the world? Who would have ever thought? Who would have even invented such a thing that you go from caterpillar stage to butterfly stage? But that's exactly what God wants to do with the Christian. And that is exactly what God does with a Christian who says, Lord, here's my body. Here's my mind, my mind, eyes, my ears, my tongue, my hands, my, my body, my feet. Here's, my, here's me. Lord, here's me 100% of me. I'm not holding back anything from you. Here's me. And I'm choosing after I present myself, my body to the Lord, and I choose not to be conformed to this world. All of a sudden, a transformation takes place. Nobody would look at the common town drunk and say he's a candidate to be a preacher. But God could do that. And the first step that happens in that man's life is when he is redeemed and he receives God's gift of eternal life and he's born again. And then he presents his body to the Lord. And do you know what God does? Literally, literally, he changes his brain paths. Now, they know for a fact that if they take a scan of a dope addict's brain, that there are certain paths and patterns in the frontal lobe of the brain. By the way, when they do that with someone who is addicted to pornography, some of the similar patterns are beaten down in that frontal lobe of the brain. What can change that? The world says throw money at it. The world says throw medicine at it. The world says throw psychology at it. The world says throw education at it. The world says change your patterns by your outward behavior or your outward habits. While that may help to a little bit, it only goes skin deep. Jesus says, let me change the heart through salvation. And when that person presents themselves as a living sacrifice through surrender, they say, Lord, here I am. Lord, I'm choosing not to be conformed to this world. And Lord... You transform my mind. And they let the word of God sink down into their mind. Look here, some of you have a certain way that you handle frustration. All of us do. And some of that's based upon how we saw our parents handle frustration. Or habits that we have developed over the years of handling frustration. And sometimes they're not good patterns. They're not good habits. Uh, Let me illustrate it this way. Years ago, I was preaching in Lubbock, Texas, and I was staying in a hotel. And in this area of Texas, I don't know if it's everywhere, I wanted to get out of my hotel and go across the street to a store over here. But I couldn't. The roads wouldn't let me. So you know what I had to do? I had to go right, go to the corner, go right, go to the light, go left, uh, make a U-turn, come back to the light and go left so that I I could walk there faster than driving. It was very irritating. So one day I said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to explore a new way. So I drove around back of the hotel. You know what I discovered? Somebody beat me to it. (laughs) You know what they'd done? They'd hopped the curve and they'd gone behind another store and busted into another parking lot over the curb and they got across however they wanted to go across. (laughs) And you know, that's what we do after a while. 
We say, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to settle my problems. I'm going to I have frustration the way I want. I'm going to manage my anger the way I choose. I'm going to, I'm going to satisfy my lust the way I want. I'm going, to, I'm going to worry if I want to. And we develop bad patterns and bad habits and literally bad paths in our life. And the Lord says, no, no, this isn't a good pattern because you have to go over the river and through the woods and you're going to ruin your life if you do. Here, I want to bust up those roads and I want to re-landscape your brain and I want you to think the way God wants you to think. And you know how that happens? When we let the Lord transform our mind through the Scripture. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. The scripture says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible says, Is not my word like a fire that goeth forth and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Uh, when we were up in Kalispell a couple weeks ago, we went through Glacier and there were two engineers... Uh, there were two Army Corps of Engineers architects or, or designers uh, that were planning roads. One planned this way, and there'd be all kinds of switchbacks. One planned the other way. But in order for them to build the road, they had to bust the rock. And God wants to bust away the hard parts and the beaten down parts and the bad habits and the bad paths in your brain. And he does that when you present your body a living sacrifice. Choose not to be conformed to the world and get in the word of God so that the Holy Spirit of God can totally re-landscape and re-figure your entire brain. He wants to do that so that he's pleased with our life. So that a man who is a drunk at one time, just squirming along in a worm-like way across a branch, eating everything in sight and consuming, all of a sudden through salvation and through surrender, takes flight. That's the transformation. Number four and finally is the treasure. Would you say that with me please? The treasure. All right, look at what it says, verse number two. And be not conformed to this world, but be a transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove... There's that word prove again. It's come up twice this week. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, that you may test it. I think it's even more in this context, the idea of revealing it. God wants to reveal to you that his will is good. That his will is acceptable. And that his will is perfect. You know, I'm not sure how this happens, but I think from our own flesh, sometimes we get the impression that God's will is bad. Oh, I surrender to God's will. It's going to send me to some far off country and I'm going to have to eat caterpillars or butterflies for, for my food. God's going to send me. He's going to make me go through terrible things. I'm going to lose everything if I surrender to God. And, and you know, where does that impression come from? Well, maybe from the devil. Maybe from our flesh. It certainly doesn't come from the Lord because God's will isn't bad. God's will is good. God's will is acceptable. That means it's enjoyable. That means it's something to delight in. It's something that you can tell others about and recommend. I mean, anybody here that knows the Lord and loves the Lord and has surrendered to the Lord and discovered His will, they give a five-star rating to the will of God. I mean, five-star rating. And they wouldn't give any bad comments about it either. And then he says it's perfect. Wow. Perfect? Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy. And it doesn't mean it's always, it's always enjoyable. Sometimes it's difficult. But in the end, 
when a Christian has presented their bodies a living sacrifice, chosen not to be conformed to this world, let the Word of God and the Spirit of God transform their mind and their thinking. You know what they say every time? God's will's good. God's will is acceptable. And God's will is perfect. You know, I'll tell you, I wouldn't sit down and ask a new believer these questions. Is God's will good? Is God's will perfect? God's will acceptable? They may give you the right answer, but they may give you an answer based purely on their own experience or, or limited perception. You know what I do? I sit down with an older believer that's been through the ups and the downs and the difficult valleys and the high mountain peaks, that's been through gain and loss. They may say something like this to you, like Paul did. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. They may say something like this, like John did. John said, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. They may say something like this, like Job did, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. They may say something like this, like Joseph did, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You know what they're saying? God's will is good. God's will is acceptable, and God's will is perfect. Now, just outside of Whitehall, every morning I woke up and I've looked at the gold mine. And I've wondered if, if I climb that mountain and the mountain that has been made by the tailings from the mine, if I might be able to get some gold. I, I just wonder about that. I'm not going to tell my boys that because they're going to go off on a headlong mission to find it. <clears throat> but you know, that gold isn't just on the surface. They've got to break rock. They've got to dig holes. They've got to mine locks of rock before they find a vein. And they find that vein and they discover this gold is good. It's acceptable and perfect. And sometimes you've got to break through some rock in your life in order for you to discover, to prove, to reveal, to test, and show that the will of God is good and perfect and acceptable. And when you do, you'll have found a wonderful treasure. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I thank you for your attention. I wonder with your heads bowed and your eyes closed tonight, if you'd say, Brother Dwight, I know that I'm going to heaven 